0: You're listening to Radiotopia Presents from PRX's Radiotopia.
1: Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen
0: This podcast features explicit language and may not be suitable for younger listeners. And if you're just joining us, this is a continuing story, and we recommend listening to the previous episodes first. This is Bobby, leave a message. That was the last we heard of Bobby, after the four of us — he, Reuben, co-producer Todd Luoto, and myself — discovered an abandoned car outside a home in Gresham, Oregon, belonging to Reuben's missing partner, Mark Sims, the aftermath of which suggested two possibilities. Either Mark had discovered a mythic Polybius arcade cabinet, or, more likely, he'd relapsed, his obsession with the game fueled by drug-induced paranoia. In either scenario, it seemed likely that Bobby was involved, potentially, as Mark Steeler. While we'd hoped to confront Bobby with our mounting suspicions first, the fact that he ignored our repeated attempts to reach him left us with no choice but to share these allegations with Reuben. You know, the, the, the big question that everybody wants to know is, first of all, how does Bobby make his money? because he certainly isn't making much money, as he himself admitted and as others have verified off this walking tour business, right? Some people have said that he still lives at home with his mom, although we haven't been able to verify that. One of the theories that's been kind of floated around for Is some Bobby
2: time. dealing drugs.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Mark did relapse. I mean, we, we, Portland is where he grew up. Makes sense. And Bobby, you know, met him under this completely different set of circumstances.
2: So, so maybe we've, we've just been chasing somebody who's been on a run this entire time. This is all just like one long drug run. And he and his dealer have, have cooked up this entire thing between the two of them. And.
0: Well, it's possible.
2: Can, can I can I accept that Mark could have relapsed? Yes, because I, I know that that none of us are immune. Would it serve as as some sort of way to make sense of all of this? It's all just a fucking dope fantasy, right?
0: At first, we couldn't quite tell if Ruben was angered by the suggestion or simply mocking it. Speaking out of concern for you, the the notion that you know, this whole time we've been consorting with Mark's dealer. We're
2: talking about speed? I I, I don't buy him as any kind of drug dealer. I absolutely cannot see it.
0: I, I'm just saying, he's very secretive about where he lives. He won't let us pick him up. He won't let us drop him off at his house. He doesn't, we don't know anything about that aspect of Bobby's life. Who, do, who like, knows? Who know, Like, I, is he I don't- What trying to protect? D- d- so when Dylan told us this, that certainly clicked into place, you know. I mean it, it does make sense, the the level of secrecy. When I mentioned Dylan, I was referring to Dylan Reef, the ground control regular who first tipped us off to Bobby's alleged activities in last week's episode.
2: You know, initially
0: we're thinking it's paranoia or whatever, you know, or it's or it's this facade that he's gotta keep up to try to make his story, you know, more plausible, but if this guy is up to some illegal activity and a person he doesn't know from Adam shows up at one of his walking tours and says, have you seen this man and sticks a photo in his face?
2: If if Bobby is using his walking tour as some sort of front for a drug operation, I bet if we walked around with his photograph, if he's dealing, we'll know pretty damn fast.
0: Mm-hmm. So at Ruben's urging, that's exactly what we did. At first, the whole exercise seemed fruitless. No one we met recognized Bobby. But word traveled, and a friend of one of our contacts put us in touch with someone who did know him. Much better than we ever could have hoped.
1: I was just coming out of a complicated situation and didn't really yet have any friends, and like kind of started to know my coworkers, but still was, you know, pretty alone a lot of the times and so I saw it as like at least like a friend.
0: This is Christina Crawford, a former resident of Portland, who briefly dated Bobby in 2006.
1: And he just seemed non-threatening, it didn't feel like he was um, expecting anything like heavily romantic.
0: At the time, Christina knew nothing about Bobby's past or his obsession with one of Portland's most infamous urban legends. And she wouldn't, until after she'd severed ties with him.
1: You know, at the time I definitely was very judgmental about what I heard. I, I was kind of embarrassed that I hung out with him. But now looking back, I feel like that maybe he just wasn't all there, I guess. And I don't know if he had any support from anyone.
0: I'm John Freshette, and on today's episode, we'll be hearing more from Christina about her and Bobby's relationship as we attempt to uncover who Bobby is and find out what really happened to both he and Mark. This is The Plebius Conspiracy, a production of Showcase from PRX's Radiotopia.
1: Portland is... Uh, where I grew up actually outside um, a Southeast area, uh, more towards Gresham. And I left to originally go to school and I was following a boy and that ended up not turning out so well and got a little bit toxic and I just needed to restart and didn't really have anywhere to go. So I went back to Portland to um, assess like what I wanted to do next. The place I worked at was right around the corner from another coffee shop that I would go to before work and after work and kind of spend time at, just because I didn't really have any friends at first.
0: It was here that Christina first met Bobby, who was another regular at the coffee shop. They'd make small talk. He was friendly and kept things light. A familiar face, always bearing a smile.
1: And I would read the Mercury. It's like a local newspaper. And read the I Saw You post, which are like local people posting about a misconnection of sorts.
0: We met at the waterfront. Me, the shirtless smoker with the long red hair and the Scorpio and snake tattoos. You, the amazingly cute free spirit with the dark glasses, eclectic jewelry, and the job-making sandwiches, Reads one I Saw You post to give you an idea of the type of content one might encounter. Chris was addicted to the section. It was her guilty pleasure, and she would often share the most entertaining posts aloud with the staff of the coffee shop. And then one day, as she was reading through the posts, she had the uncanny feeling that one of them was about her.
1: Like I knew it was me because it was something like over the top about how, when I would read the Mercury, I laughed so hard, it was like I couldn't breathe. He actually posted about me in that exact cafe that I was at and described me, and even went to the extent to describe that I worked at the restaurant around the corner.
0: So there's Christina, sitting at her favorite coffee shop, reading the Mercury, and there's a post in the I Saw Yous about a young woman who frequented that very coffee shop, religiously reading the I Saw Yous and laughing until she couldn't catch her breath. At first, she figured it had to be one of the staff there messing with her, but none of them fessed up. The next time she saw Bobby, she found out who the author was.
1: And um, he asked me out, actually, right after that. And I thought it was so sweet and, like, surprising. And it was like he really just wanted to get to know me more. And then, you know, and it just led to, like, that one date, which led to another. Like, I didn't expect it to even last a couple weeks, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. So why did you go out with him?
1: I kind of feel bad. I was, like, bored. (laughs) I was, like, bored and lonely. And at least, like, he didn't pressure me physically. I didn't feel any judgment from him. You know, I'd expressed what was going on with me, and he was very respectful of that, I will say.
0: Was Bobby a fun date?
1: Uh, we went and saw some movies together. We went on a, a couple, like, just walks. Nothing overly intimate, not sexually, yeah. I, I get the feeling almost he didn't really do relationships. If I touched him, it almost startled him.
0: As their friendship developed, So too did the mystery surrounding certain aspects of Bobby's life. When Christina mentioned her exes, Bobby wouldn't reciprocate, and any direct questions about prior relationships only elicited vague responses. He was similarly guarded about his source of income, only revealing that he didn't work a day job.
1: You know, if we went out to eat and he paid, I thought it was generous and I'd try and give him money and he'd always be like, I'm fine. I got this, or you have rent to pay, implying that like he didn't have rent to pay. You know, it kind of just seemed like either he had come into some money at some point or his family had money. Not a lot of money, but enough to where, you know, he, he was comfortable.
0: We asked Christina about the rumor that Bobby might've been dealing drugs.
1: No, I don't think that would be true at all. I don't think he'd ever, to do and, and or especially to deal. I got no indication of that.
0: But as with us, Bobby never disclosed where he lived.
1: I actually never even went to his house, and we'd always meet somewhere.
0: His secrecy was never an issue. If anything, it made Christina feel safe.
1: Um, I guess part of it was I just didn't see myself, I didn't visualize myself taking the relationship further, so I wasn't too concerned. I think it would be different if it was a real, it was an intimacy relationship. If I wanted to spend the night, that would be different. But I didn't have that desire he was almost like it was like i couldn't actually get close to him even if i wanted to and so i never got i never felt stressed about being around him and giving him the wrong idea because i don't think that's what he wanted he seemed sometimes just desperate to just not be alone and i guess i was too
0: (laughs) but that feeling of security dissipated as some of bobby's secrets began coming to light
1: i saw him during the day like a day that i didn't have to work but I was in downtown Portland. And when I saw him, I kind of went to go follow him and then realized that other people were behind him. And I hadn't even crossed the street before I realized that he was actually giving a tour. I couldn't figure even out what he was talking about. I didn't get close enough, but um, I don't know. It just didn't feel right.
0: At first, she wondered if Bobby was ashamed of his job, that being independently wealthy was an image he'd constructed. Create a mystique.
1: If you talk to someone and you're like, "What did you do today?" and they tell you, but you know later on that they're admitting a part of themselves, it just seems like it's going down the wrong path. Thought I was just not going to talk to him for like a you know a day or two. I I just sat on it, and that's actually when I started to ask people more about him. So all of it kind of came together at once, and you know I got stories about him that were very bizarre. <laughs>
0: This was the first time that Christina had heard anything about Bobby's alleged abduction. Up until then, she'd kept their relationship, which I'd put in air quotes, a secret from the few friends she'd begun making.
1: I kind of, I hate to say it, but I kind of just stopped talking to him completely. I never even asked him about it. Looking back on it, it felt like it brought up a lot of emotions of um, kind of betrayal.
0: For Christina, Whether Bobby's experiences were real or invented, the thought of dealing with that kind of baggage proved overwhelming.
1: I also think that I'd come to part of the end of where the relationship was going to go. I don't know if, if that was why I, you know, I used it as maybe an excuse to dismiss him. Like, I had a great reason not to talk to him. And then I found out that, you know, he might be crazy. I didn't answer his phone calls. I kind of stopped going to the coffee shop. It was a week or so of calls and voicemails, and then when I didn't return them, he just didn't pursue it after that.
0: It wasn't long after that Christina left Portland and went back to school in San Francisco, where she thought little of her brief time with Bobby. She hasn't seen him since that afternoon in 2006. Since then, on the odd trip back to Portland to visit, Her friends occasionally bring him up, teasing her with the memory. But on the other side of all we'd been through, it was hard for us to find the humor in it. Because in the time we'd spent looking into Bobby's life, connections to him, whether casual or intimate, were few and far between. Aside from his sporadic walking tours and appearances at ground control, from all we could gather, Bobby led a lonesome existence. 2006 was a critical year for both he and Polybius. It was the year that Stephen Roach went public with dubious claims that he'd co-designed the game. Bobby has said that Roach's post was the fuel that inspired him to tell his story in the flesh on the walking tour, instead of from behind a keyboard and screen. We had to wonder if 2006 was significant for another reason, and those few weeks with Christina... Had been Bobby's final attempt at leading some semblance of a normal life. And when that didn't work out, all that was left for him was Polybius and his story. Uh, sit down, sit down. Um, yeah, sorry, you, I've been... you got some lights in here hmm. you can turn on? Yeah, here. A few days after we last saw Ruben, he abruptly called us to his rented house.
2: Does this mean anything to you?
0: What Ruben showed us was a sketch of a grid, or as he referred to it, a chart. The numbers 1 through 5 running along both the horizontal and vertical axes.
2: Inside the chart, you would have your, your letters, uh, your alphabet.
0: So 1-1 one, one would be A, 2-1-B, 3-1-C. For those of you who'd like a visual reference for what we're discussing, you can visit radiotopia.fm slash showcase or just Google the Polybius Square. Here's Portland historian Joe Streckert to tell us more.
2: It was a five by five square and you could take the 20 letters of the Greek alphabet, scramble them and you'd have your Polybius Square, the other person at the other end would have the same Polybius Square and so you'd have a cipher for sending back secret messages.
0: The Polybius Square was invented by Polybius, a Greek historian and cryptographer, from whom the arcade game takes its name. So how did you, did you, did you like look this up online and that's how you... Sure, I mean,
2: I, I didn't know anything about encoding messages, uh, codes. I mean, we, we had all talked about Polybius and he's a cryptographer,
0: right? So it felt like a natural place to start. And what was this all in regard to? The sobriety journal we discovered, purportedly belonging to Mark Sims, Ruben's missing partner. This is Mark's writing. It's nonsense. Nothing makes any sense. Numbers filled the final page, culminating in a phone number that led us to Frank Seller, who claimed to have delivered Mark a non-functional black arcade cabinet. But we suspected that the preceding numbers were intentional as well.
2: And I was trying to make sense of the, the sequence of numbers uh, here on the last pages. If this is a code, then how might we decode it? What if we plug it into the Polybius cipher? Okay. So I did so, and here's what I got. U.Z.N.T.H. It, it didn't make any
0: sense. Each letter that Ruben generated had a two-digit numerical value associated with it. An A would be 11, for example, a Z55. Of course, given that the Polybius Square was devised to allow the cryptographer to scramble the letters in any configuration desired, only someone with the same Polybius Square would be able to correctly decode the message, if there was a message, which, at least initially, did not seem to be the case with Mark's journal. And then there was the matter of the periods that covered the page, interspersed throughout the numbers, seemingly at random. R-E,
2: then another dot, then I-S, dot, and N-O, oh, dot, the dots, it's, it's the, it's punctuation between words. Uh, oh, so it's, not, it's,
0: it's grouping the word, it's showing you where, we, where a word begins and ends. Precisely. And as Ruben transposed each number, a message did take shape. After the couple of
2: random letters in the beginning, and save for a few random letters at the end, it reads, There is no witness so dreadful, no accuser so terrible, as the conscience that dwells in the heart of every man.
0: <laughs> a Google search confirmed it to be a quote from Polybius, the historian, someone whose work we become acquainted with over the course of our investigation. It Polybius. Comes, it comes from, I think it's from his book, the, the, um, is it The Rise of the Roman Empire or The Fall, fall of the Roman Empire, one of the two. Oh. We can look that up, I can't remember.
2: Uh, rise, Rise of the Roman Empire. It's
0: from The Rise of the Roman Empire, okay.
2: Yeah. You know, I read this and I it felt like Mark was reaching out. I mean, you know, it, it feels like an accusation.
0: So he's talking about your conscience.
2: That's what I thought. I mean, it, it
0: it could be. It seemed like an overly complicated way to stick it to someone who cheated on you. Why is he encoding it, one, and why is he quoting Polybius, two? Which is, I mean, I guess, is that some sort of a... Are we supposed to take this as some sort of a verification that, like, yeah, this is why he came to Portland?
2: Well, that bothered me. If, uh... If Mark wanted me to find this, if he left behind this journal to be found, why encode it? If he's sending a message, what what if we never think to, to plug it into a Polybius Square? It could just as easily be an accusation of Bobby, right? No witness so dreadful, no accuser so terrible as the conscience that dwells in the heart of every man. Yeah. It's like no witness, witness so terrible?
0: Some confession of his or something. Well. I'm not going to say I fully understand Bobby, but why would he be copying to this sort of like indirectly, right? But it feels like a big, you know, it feels like a big tease in a way, doesn't it, to you? There was a third possibility we entertained, however unlikely, that the code came from one of the arcade games Mark had been stockpiling in the garage of his rented house. There's a long history of Easter eggs in arcade games, hidden messages covertly inserted into the game's code by programmers as a sort of middle finger to companies that profited from their efforts, often without giving credit, where credit was due.
2: Um, What you see more in arcade games is uh, things stuck into the memory, basically on the chips themselves.
0: That's Clay Cowgill, one of the owners of the Portland Retrocade Ground Control.
2: If one were to remove the, the memory chips, be it mask ROM or eprom or something like that, read it in on a, on a device capable of just pulling the data off without executing it, and browsing through the text, a lot of times you'll find little messages, you know, if, if you find this call sort of things. And then, again, this also ties back into your Polybius, which was claiming to find strings in the ROMs of the game. That's sort of the the evidentiary portion that we like to look for. And somebody knew that if they were actually hoaxing it to say, okay, yeah, we did look through this. We found the following text.
0: None of this is to say that if the code was taken from one of the games Mark purchased, that it was a real Polybius cabinet, it's doubtful there ever was such a thing to begin with, even taking into account the stories of strange, unmarked games that circulated the arcades of 1981. If anything, the link to Polybius made us question the code's authenticity even more. But there was still the question of the leftover numbers that bookended the message, none of which made much sense at first, either too large to use with a cipher, or seemingly random when transposed into letters.
2: So if you look at the Polybius Square... The maximum value is 55.
0: Again, that would be the letter Z.
2: So we wind up having—we have these untranslatable numbers. Right. 123, no value, 65, no value, and then a W. Oh,
0: so just the, the beginning of the end, N, W, north, Then we
2: look at the sequence, the sequence at the, at the, the very end.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Did, did, did I— I know, I get where,
2: I get where you're going with okay, this.
0: Okay, 123, W, yeah. 45. Ruben Dot. punched the remaining numbers into yeah. Google along with the two letters he'd been able to transpose. NW, as in Northwest. The leftovers read 45.55N123.65W. w <laughs> The coordinates. They're coordinates. Is,
2: where are the Here, click, on, the click on the map. Sure
0: enough, a map appeared on the
2: laptop screen. And if we zoom out, we see the little fork, little North Fork Wilson River. We zoom out further, and it's smack-dab in the middle of Tillamook State Forest. So
0: where does this leave us? Where it left us was with a rather absurd decision to make. Behave like rational adults and walk away from this unlikely next chapter in the mystery? Or follow the coordinates deep into the Tillamook State Forest, where Bobby and Mark's stories purportedly converged more than 30 years ago? In a tunnel burrowed into the earth. The fact that Bobby was MIA, that he'd been the one to discover Mark's journal, these coincidences were too great to dismiss. But the fact remained Mark was missing, and according to Ruben, the numbers were in his handwriting. And regardless of whether it was a real lead or a simple hoax, it was hard not to be excited by the prospect of what we might discover in the forest. The Conspiracy is a production of Showcase from PRX's Radiotopia. The series is produced by Todd Luoto and myself, and executive produced by Julie Shapiro. Original artwork for each episode is by Jin Lim. Music for this episode was composed by Restricted, Rishikesh Hirway, Ananon, and Chris Fitzpatrick. You can learn more about all of them and see bios for everyone we interview by visiting Radiotopia.fm. Showcase. I'm John Frechette. The Mystery of Plebius concludes next week.